the people you spend the most time with are going to get under your skin. With the little things they do that are inconsiderate, annoying, and just plain wrong. The impact will depend on your reaction. For you personally and for your relationship together, the effect is going to be less about what they do and more about how you respond. You asked her to put the mug in the dishwasher, not on the countertop, which you cleaned last night, but there it is. You told him that you would shop and cook as long as he cleans the bathrooms and does the laundry, and it's worse than a college dorm at your house. Your brother whistles while he does his homework. You've asked him to stop 482 times, but here comes 483. The little things that wear on us, especially when we are together all the time, make it hard not to grow apart. But what Jesus wants is for us to grow together. So we thrive and shine his light in the world, and the only way to get there is to become people who routinely choose forgiveness. Of course, we are all free not to. We can choose to keep track, tally up, and hold the debt until they pay us back to harbor the memory of what they did instead of letting it go. This morning, I will show you that Jesus wants to push us toward forgiveness instead of resentment. Because that is the path God has chosen to take with each one of us. Our choice here will be a defining decision each and every day. When you harbor resentment, it's like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt the other person. My friend Joe Joyce told me that. When I moved to Red Bank in 2002, I used to meet with a handful of friends early Tuesday mornings. We would share what was happening in our lives and pray for each other. Sometimes we'd give advice. Now, I'd been frustrated for a long time because of a relationship that was a mess. I was being antagonized by someone who had power over me, and I couldn't change what they were doing. And I was starting to become resentful. Joe could see this, and he knew that my response was not hurting that other person, which is what I wanted. It was hurting me. And so he told me, you have to choose forgiveness, like Jesus has forgiven you. The first small group of disciples were with Jesus all the time. For three years, they went along with him from village to village learning. Instead of going to class twice a week, it was more like a traveling boarding school. Loads of time together, every day, day after day, no time apart. You know how it's easier to be nice and tolerant to the people you only see now and then? Like you have a grace reservoir for each person you interact with, and when they bother you, it gets depleted like a battery, but that's okay because it's rechargeable. It builds up again before the next time you see them. But now, imagine you are with the group of disciples following Jesus together, constantly with each other. No time to recharge your depleted supplies of tolerance. Can you picture that? If you live with other people, you can. 
We're stuck with our families and the grace reserves are getting low. Someone emailed me a few weeks back, starting to understand why pets try to run out of the house when the front door opens. Jesus cared deeply about the well-being of his students. So he gave them lessons which, if followed, would help in the present with the everyday challenges that can make or break life. And since it's hard not to lose it with the people you are always around, he taught them what to do when someone sins against you. Go and share what you're feeling. If they resist, bring help. Acknowledge your limits, work through your conflicts, and get to restoration. It was a good lesson. But it didn't answer every question. After he finished, one of the disciples took him aside, Peter. He was thinking about situations where the wrong can't be made right, like when words can't be unsaid or there's no way to repair what has been broken. When you know the problem won't ever be fixed, you know what that's like, don't you? The only way forward is forgiveness. Being stuck with this group of disciples, Peter wondered how he could manage. This is Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Peter's brother, Andrew, is right over there with the rest of his disciples. Think of your own siblings and think about forgiveness. Peter's not only thinking of Andrew, but of everyone else who's gathered around there, everyone his life overlaps with as he tries to follow Jesus. That's what he means by brother. How many times do I have to forgive? Seven? Now that means as many as anyone could ever have to? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you 77 times. More than you can imagine. That's what he means. That's how many times you will have to forgive. Now Jesus could tell this answer made Peter's mind race. So he offered a parable to help Peter see the road to forgiveness. And he designed his story to push him to choose forgiveness for the people he was close to. Jesus wants us to make the same choice. Think of the one who makes you want to run out of the house like the dog when the door is open. The person who makes you want to quit and find another job. The friend who's great, but so taxing. The person who makes you want to go to a different church. Now let's take the first half of Jesus' story. This is Matthew 18, 23 through 27. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 
and as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. Now, this is a picture of the dynamic process of forgiveness. There's more to Jesus' story, which we'll get to in a bit, but let's pause here and stay for a while and clarify some details, four important facts to make the story as clear as possible. First, when the accounts are settled, the man owes the king 10,000 talents. That is a ridiculous amount. It would take 163,000 years to earn that much money. This is not a realistic quantity. Jesus is intentionally hyperbolic to present a debt that will make Peter think no one could ever pay that back. Second, this quantity makes the slave's promise and plea absurd. Some think this is a real act of repentance, we see, but I don't think so. He says with enough time, he'll pay back everything, but that's not possible. He'll never pay back what he owes. Jesus has depicted a failure which, from the slave's side, will forever disrupt the relationship between the two. And then third, the slave asks for patience. In Greek, the word is much more descriptive. Please be makrothumos, he pleads, literally big-hearted. Have a big heart for me. That's what the debtor asks for, because really, that's the only way things between them will work out. And then fourth, the king chooses the only way forward for their relationship, which is to release this man from the debt. Out of a big heart, he has compassion. He lets the plight of the slave move him to choose forgiveness instead of retaining the debt. Even though it means an irreparable loss for the king, he chooses relationship over repayment. Now, those are the details. And now, we can highlight some very specific and repeatable steps in the dynamic process of choosing forgiveness. How to do it. The king's actions present a pattern which we can follow in relationship to the people who owe us. Think of the ones you're stuck with and the debt because of the wrong they've done and keep doing the problems which can't be fixed, the words which can't be taken back. The king's actions give us a model for how to move forward toward forgiveness. The first step we learn from the king is to take account. Open the books and with clear eyes, calculate the debt. 
If you're ever going to get to forgiveness, you have to start with an honest reckoning of what was done. Name the fault. Be as specific as you can. Not in conversation with them at first. Depending on who they are, you may never talk to them directly about it. You have to use your judgment here. But before a word is exchanged, in your own mind, you have to take account of what you've suffered. This first step in the process of forgiveness may seem counterintuitive, especially since many are taught that forgiveness starts by telling yourself you shouldn't feel hurt. So you equate forgiveness with pretending nothing has happened. And then you're always pushing down your completely legitimate feelings, which may work in the short term, but the person who represses his anger to find peace today will discover real turmoil tomorrow. As political advisor Lloyd Braun so astutely observed, serenity now, insanity later. Be true to your feelings and take account. That's step one. Now, you do not want to stop there. Once you've tallied up the debt, if it's a situation that can't be undone, as so many are, then you have to accept the loss. That's the second step we learn from the king about how to forgive. And it's hard. Loss always is. Things will be different than you wished. But you have to come to grips with it. You've got to set aside the picture that could have been and live in the reality of life as it is. Mature relationships require letting go of the idealized pictures we have of how it should be. And that means loss. But in order to move in a positive direction, you have to begin with acceptance. And listen, if that sounds defeatist, it's not because of who God is. Even when things don't go your way, God is able to bring about beauty when you trust yourself into his hands, even with whatever losses you have to accept, he brings life from the ashes. God is creative and persistent. He can work through pain and hurt to bring about new life. And that's what he does. An artisan who's not thrown off when the vessel becomes marred. So don't lose heart and be brave. And when you have to, accept the loss. That's the second step to take. And when you do, now the third. When you see that other person, you have to choose to release the debt. Just like the king did, you need to see him and not the wrong that he did. You have to free her in your heart. Don't go on holding it over her head. Don't treat him according to what he owes you. If you do, it will ruin the relationship. And resentment will grow in you, and it will be like drinking poison. It will make you think, if only I can get back at him, then the balance sheet will be even, and then I'll feel better. But it's not true. Revenge never works. My friend Joe knew this too. He grew up in a family of 13, where he learned early about the danger of resentment. One summer day, he's out in the yard in a bathing suit playing in the sprinkler. And out of 
nowhere, an older sister comes and pushes him down right into the clover onto a honeybee, which stings him right on the knee. She laughs and runs back into the house, so he begins to plot his revenge. He'll punish her with the same pain she's made him suffer. He manages to trap a bee. Carefully, he removes its wings without killing it and without damaging the stinger. He places the disabled bee on the walkway leading up to the house, and then he begins to call out to his sister, provoking her with carefully crafted taunts. When she comes out to get him, she'll step on the bee, and he'll have his reward. Out she comes, racing toward him, angry, but her foot misses the bee. She pushes him down a second time. He gets up and runs to follow her into the house. He steps on the bee. One in the knee, a second in the foot. To forgive the people close to you, you must choose to release them from the debt. Give up trying to settle accounts by getting even. Revenge is always bad for you. And forgiveness is always good for you. One more step. The king who releases the debt does so because he chooses to be big-hearted. And that's the fourth step, to have compassion. Now, that may sound like a feeling, but it's not. It's a decision to extend understanding toward that other, to open your heart to their plight, and to believe that there are circumstances behind their behavior that make sense of their misdeeds, not which justify them, but which would cause understanding. Troubles they face which give rise to the debt that you've named and accepted and chosen to release with a big heart instead of a small one. You can choose to extend forgiveness as the king does in Jesus' story. Think again of your close contacts. If you take these four steps, the pathway to healthy relationships will remain open, at least from your side. And that is the decision which Jesus wants Peter to make and each one of us to make also. If we do, we will be like the king who lives by a peculiar standard of bookkeeping. And that means we will be like God, who chooses to forgive the debt that each one of us owes to him. And that's what's really happening in this story. Before it's a picture of how we should forgive others, it's a picture of how we have been forgiven but not so we can dwell on how good God has been to us, but in order to push us forward in relationship to others. Jesus wants Peter and you and me to see how God has forgiven us 
so we will decide to turn and forgive others in the same way. He wants us to take God's decision to forgive us to heart so it will fill the grace reserves in each one of us so we can go on forgiving those who have sinned against us and so we can take account and accept the loss and release the debt and be big-hearted since God has already done that for us. Of course, you are free not to do any of this. You can take account and then retain the debt and try to extract payment. You can be small-hearted. If you make that decision, it will have its own set of consequences. That's what Jesus shows in the second half of his story. Let's look at that now in verse 28. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. It's the same situation as before. One guy owes a debt to another. He says the same thing as the first slave. Be big-hearted. I will pay you back. Same request and promise. Only this time, it's completely reasonable. And it's a genuine promise. It would only take a few months of work to pay back a hundred denarii. Which puts the first guy at the fork in the road with a defining decision to make. From Jesus' perspective, it's the same place we're at every time someone does us wrong, and we have to decide whether to forgive them or add to the debtor's column. Now, verse 30 shows what it looks like when we choose not to forgive. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. A pretty foolish decision since in prison he'll never be able to work and earn the money to pay him back. Watch what happens next. Verse 31. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then... His Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. What an ending. Can you imagine if you were Peter hearing this story the first time? It's just you and Jesus standing together with the disciples who you're trying to figure out how you're going to forgive right over there, wondering how many times will I have to put up with them? And they have no idea what you're talking about, no idea why you're standing next to Jesus, mouth hanging open, 
And then Jesus leans in to make sure you did not miss what he just said, verse 35. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Two things you must keep these both in mind. First, this is not the last line Jesus speaks in Peter's hearing about forgiveness. Thank God. Not long after this, Peter will be standing at a distance as Jesus hangs on a cross where he'll die. He had promised that he would always be faithful, but then three times Peter lies about knowing Jesus, which is partly why he's on the cross. And from where he stands, Peter will hear Jesus pray for everyone who's watching him there. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That prayer was for Peter too, which means we cannot overestimate the depths to which Jesus will sink in order to free us from our own sin. God's forgiveness is higher than the heavens and deeper than the sea, and his mercies are new every morning, even for deniers like Peter and you and me too. That's first. And then secondly, according to Jesus... You get to choose what kind of bookkeeping you get to live by. It's either God's bookkeeping of grace, where he decides to wipe the slate clean for you and for all the people who make life hard for you, or a bookkeeping of works, making people pay what they owe you. If it's that second one, You will put yourself on a road that winds ever deeper into misery and darkness where you are forever fighting to pay back impossible debts. It's either forgiveness or resentment. From you and for you, the choice is yours. Before we sing one more song, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time to listen to the stories which Jesus told, to become his students again, and to open our ears and our hearts also to what we need to learn. It's hard to be stuck with people. It's easy to lose our patience and to keep track. But what we need, every one of us, is to learn how to practice forgiveness. I thank you for this story of the king who forgives and for the way that it gives us steps which we also can follow. And I also thank you for the way that Jesus helped Peter and us too see how much and how freely we have been forgiven by you. God, would our awareness of your grace expand so that our reservoirs of grace would fill up. 
and so we would be more able to extend forgiveness just as you have forgiven us. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. May our mercies for the people around us be renewed because of this time together. Help every one of us say no to resentment and to choose forgiveness joyfully instead. We ask for this in the name of Jesus, who gave himself so that we could be forgiven. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.